Good afternoon. Uh, welcome to the Chillicothe Bible Church Good Friday ser service. I'm Pastor Joe, and I am pleased to have members of my family uh, joining uh, uh, us in worship this afternoon. We hope that this afternoon will be a time of celebration of all that Christ has done for us on the cross, and also a time of reflection, a time when we think about what it is that our salvation cost to purchase for us. And so we thank you for joining us. Uh, if you would please join in in singing these classic hymns with us.
afternoon again, Chillicothe Bible Church. I'm glad to have this opportunity to celebrate with you uh, the events of Good Friday. And if you would join me uh, this afternoon in prayer. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that even though we are, as a country and as a world, going through a very unusual time as it relates to worship, uh, where we cannot, for reasons of safety and health, gather together. Uh, Father, we, we give you praise that you drew near to us, 
that your son invaded our world, took on a human nature, became one of us, and got in amongst us, and rubbed elbows with us, and suffered in every way, just as we do, was tested and tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet went through life without sin, to end his life on a cross and then to be raised. Father, we praise you for that. Though our worship is not as we would like, Father, we pray that you would receive it nonetheless as an offering to you and that you would be pleased to accept it from our hands in the way in which it is intended. Uh, Father, we pray that our hearts would... Uh, Listen carefully to what your word has to say to us and that your spirit would speak to us forcefully in these days about what we need to do in response to your word and how we need to listen to your spirit. Uh, Father, we give you praise today for what you've done for us in Jesus. And we pray in these few moments as we worship together. Uh, Father, that, uh, that you would continue to work in us by your word and spirit. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name and by the Spirit's power. Amen. Well, one of the very best things that we can do in these days, especially in a week like this, is to read the scriptures and to spend some time simply opening God's word and and particularly on a week like this, focusing on Jesus and what he has done for us in the cross. And so I want to read for you a portion of the story from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. I'm going to read the entire chapter, relatively short chapter. And if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to follow along as I read the 23rd chapter of Luke. If you don't have a Bible of your own in a good modern translation, uh, just leave a comment. At this on this video here, and we will do our best to connect with you and to get you one free of charge to you. Uh, it would be our privilege to put God's word in your hands. Now, if you are there in Luke chapter 23, this is what the word of God says. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. 
For before this, they had been at enmity with one another. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. And then they will begin to say that the mountains fall on us and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, or we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly, I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the ninth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until 
It was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle when they saw what had taken place returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And then they returned and prepared spices and ointments on the Sabbath day. They rested according to the commandment. Now that is an incredibly powerful story. I think it's made even more so by how compressed it all is. It's just 56 short lines that describe how the innocent Son of God, Jesus the Messiah, was unjustly put to death, though he was innocent of any crime whatsoever. And as we reflect on the text together, I'd like to draw your attention to a few of the details of this story that you might have missed as we read along together. First, let's reflect on this fact that Jesus was examined and found innocent no less than five times in the course of this chapter. Three times Pilate said, I find no guilt in this man. Though Herod and the soldiers mocked and scorned him when Jesus did not respond to their needling and he didn't perform a miracle for their entertainment, Herod likewise found Jesus innocent and sent him back to Pilate as Pilate himself acknowledged that Herod had found him innocent. If he hadn't found him innocent, Herod would have condemned him, but he didn't. And so he's off he went back to Pilate. He knew Jesus was innocent of any crime. And then you have the man on the cross next to him who says, this man is innocent of any wrongdoing. And finally, the centurion also says, surely this man was innocent. Though the crowd doesn't say it, there's even one more. They go home beating their breasts, having seen what they've seen. They came for the show. And they went home ashamed of themselves for that which they had participated in. There was no doubt that the centurion's words rang out to everyone. Because no doubt, this was not his first execution. 
To become a centurion, the leader of a hundred troops, you had to work your way up through the ranks. And this man was part of the death squad. And he would have seen this kind of a scene multiple times. In fact, three times in this very spot. And he understood how men who are justly condemned for their crimes react and how men who are innocent act. And Jesus was clearly innocent. At least, depending on how you're counting, three different people, three different Roman officials declared Jesus innocent. Under Jewish law, by the testimony of two or three witnesses, a matter is established. Here you have three, and they're not even Jews. And they all declare Jesus innocent of any crime, and nevertheless put him to death. Second, think with me for a minute about the choice that the chief priests and the scribes made. Pilate kept trying to release to them Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the true Son of God, the Father, the true Christ who would bring about everything that the Jewish nation had hoped for and desired, everything that their prophets for 2,000 years prior to Jesus had pointed toward from Abraham all the way to Malachi had looked forward to Jesus. In fact, further back than that, however far back the garden is in world history, there had been a promise of a redeemer to come. And then later, when Abraham came along, a promise made to him that it would come through his descendants specifically. And all of this came down to Jesus Christ and the chief priests reject the Messiah in favor of Barabbas, whose name means son of a father. Not son of the father, but son of a father, who was guilty of insurrection and murder. Instead of the kingdom of God, they chose the kingdom of man. They decided that faced with a choice between the authentic Messiah who would come in peace, riding on a colt the foal of a donkey. They would have a murderer and an insurrectionist. Someone who would fight for their political freedom even if he was a failure like Barabbas rather than a Messiah who would forgive their sin in his coming and establish his kingdom and rule only later. It's an absolutely tragic choice because having chosen a political deliverer now, they will get neither freedom nor the kingdom that Jesus promised. And that's the point of what Jesus told these mourning women in this crowd who followed behind him to the place called the skull. Having rejected the true Messiah, these leaders' decision to pursue political deliverance would lead to the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple and the Jewish nation within 40 years of Jesus' death. That's what he's talking about when he tells them, weep for yourselves. Third, let's reflect on 
Simon of Cyrene for a moment or two. He was compelled to carry Jesus' cross because apparently the torture and abuse that Jesus had already suffered had made it impossible for him to carry it himself. Now think about this for a minute. I, I, don't, I don't particularly like some depictions of Jesus that you see in Renaissance art because he looks like a guy who could not blow off the fuzz off a dandelion. He looks like some wimpy, weakling guy. But this is a man who for, for all of his life up until he was 30 worked a blue-collar job as a carpenter with hand tools. He would have been strong. He was a guy who went out fishing with his friends and fished with them all night long, pulling nets in and out of the water. This is a man who walked every place that he went all of his life. This is a tremendously physically strong man, and he would have been very healthy for his day. And yet, after nine hours of near continuous abuse, beginning with a friend's betrayal and his arrest by a mob in the night, and culminating in a scourging by a, by a Roman soldier, which would have ripped meat from the bone. All of that took its toll, even before he arrived at the cross. And so Simon of Cyrene has to be pressed into the job. Fourth, I want you to consider the various responses to Jesus. First, there's Pilate who wanted nothing to do with him and saw Jesus as a political problem best disposed of. That's why he sent him to Herod thought, I'm going to do anything I can to get rid of this man and this problem with these people. I don't want to deal with this. And he literally, as the, one of the other gospel writers tells us, tried to wash his hands of the problem of Jesus. There's Herod, who wanted to be entertained and failing to receive that, joined his soldiers in mocking and scorning him. Herod is thinking... Aren't you the Messiah? If you are, prove it by doing a miracle for me. That's the response that Herod has. He sees him as a, a sideshow act. Something that if you can't be entertaining, well then I'm just going to make fun of you. There's the response of the chief priests and the scribes who not only condemned him but also repeatedly called for his death and who seemed gleefully scornful to watch him die. They seem to be saying, in fact they do say, aren't you the Messiah? If you are, prove it by getting down from the cross. There's the response of the Jewish women of Jerusalem who cry out for his condemnation, probably thinking, aren't you the Messiah? If you are, then why are you dying the death of a condemned man? There's the response of his disciples who stood at a distance watching and mourning. They are probably wondering the same thing. Aren't you the Messiah? Why didn't the kingdom come in the way I thought it would? Did I give up three years of my life to follow you only to watch you die? 
Did I believe a lie? Then there's the centurion who praised God as he watched him die and must have thought, aren't you the Messiah? In fact, in John's gospel, we read more about the centurion and read that that certainly was his conclusion. He says, not only is this man innocent, but he surely must be the son of God. You also see Joseph of Arimathea, who at probably considerable risk to his social standing and maybe even at the risk of his life by being identified with this man, executed as a revolutionary and a rebel and a lawbreaker, now goes and asks for his body and lays him in his own tomb. Because he says, aren't you the Messiah? If you are, then I will honor you even in your death. And I will identify myself with you even at risk to myself. And most interesting of all the responses to Jesus that you see in this story are the stories of the two criminals. One on one side, one on the other. Both are dying for their crimes. Uh, Both are justly there. And one joins the crowd in scorning Jesus and says, Aren't you the Messiah? If you are, save yourself and us. If you're the Messiah, show up. Because I could really use a rescue right about now. The other rebukes his compatriot and trusts in Jesus because he is hoping. Aren't you the Messiah? If you are, then I need saving. And I need a different kind of saving than my buddy wants. I need salvation from sin and from the just judgment of God, which I know is awaiting me on the other side of my death. And all of these responses of all of these various people in this story are emblematic of the ways that all kinds of people confronted with this story and confronted with Jesus ultimately must choose how they too will respond to Jesus Christ. And the question today is, what will yours be? Will your response be one of sadness at the death of an innocent man like the women of Jerusalem? Will it be one that wants to wash your hands of the whole question, like Pilate? Will it be one of scorn, like the chief priest, the scribes, Herod, and one of the criminals? Will it be a response of faith that hopes for something better, but is fearful about how what you have believed could be possible, like the disciples? Maybe it's faith without doubt, like the centurion and the criminal who believed and Joseph. Let me ask you this. How have you responded so far when you think about Jesus and who he is and what he accomplished in his death on a good Friday afternoon right about this time of day when he breathed his last. What has your response been so far? 
Would you like to change it going forward? If you change it from doubt and fear or mocking and scorn to faith, I will make you this promise. You will not be disappointed. If you're asking about Jesus, aren't you the Messiah? You can be sure that the answer is indeed yes. How do I know? Because as the old preacher said, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. In fact, Easter came. And this man was raised from the dead. And I've said this many times to our congregation, and I'm saying it to you again. If a man walks around claiming to be God, do not believe him. But if that man dies for sin on a cross and three days later is up walking around alive, you have to take notes. Because this man's claim is one you can take to the bank. You will not be disappointed if you ask the question, are you the Messiah, Jesus, and you conclude Yes, and stake your life on him. You will not be disappointed. And about everything else, you know, we can maybe pass by rather quickly. But for just a minute, I want to focus on Jesus himself. Behold the man, as Pilate said. Behold the Son of God who takes away your sin and mine. As we sang earlier, mine, mine was the transgression. It was my sin that put Christ on the cross. And not just mine, yours too. And the sin of every single human being who has ever drawn breath and who ever will was laid on the shoulders of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, on a hill called the Skull. Though he had committed no sin, though he was not guilty of anything, who was multiple times declared innocent, who was righteous in every respect, and who as the Son of God nevertheless willingly laid down his life, offering absolutely no defense of himself to anyone, so as to ensure that he went to the cross and that our sin could be paid and that death would be put to death. The hymn writer said, Amazing love, how can it be that I should gain? And yet, I have. And you have as well. And many billions of people around the world throughout history have also gained salvation through the righteous and willing sacrifice of this one man who, when he was mocked, did not revile in turn. Who, when crucified, refused to come down from the cross, uh, though in his divine power he could have easily done so. who could have proved all of his attackers wrong and refused. He could have justly refused to die for sinners in the first place. 
Because nothing in us deserves the death of the Son of God. But his love for you and me compelled him to go. Behold the Son of God, who before he gives up to the, his spirit to the Father, prays for the very people who put him to death, saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And men and women, boys and girls, wherever you are, if you're listening, hear me when I say this. There is nothing, not one thing in all the world or that has ever been invented, that will ever come across as an idea, that will ever be invented in the future that can top this. Not one single thing except for what is coming on Sunday. Jesus' death is not just the penalty paid. It is, as we celebrated last night, the establishment of a new covenant with us, just as Jesus promised. It's the entry into the kingdom that Jesus offered to the criminal. It's the redemption secured and freedom gained for all who put their trust in him. And I pray that if you haven't yet, that you will become one of the people who enter into these things. No matter what you've done, the offer stands the same as it did for those two criminals. One chose one path, one chose the other. One presumably went to death and judgment in his sins. And the other received a rich welcome into the kingdom of God's own son. Both were guilty. Both died. One trusted in Jesus and therefore lives with him eternally because of the forgiveness he received. My hope for all of us is that every single person hearing this message this afternoon will be like that criminal who recognized that he deserved the punishment that he was getting and recognized the judgment to come, but who nevertheless, even in his dying moments, turned to faith in Jesus. And if it is true for you that you do that, then this day truly becomes Good Friday. It becomes a day to rejoice and to celebrate the freedom that Jesus bought with his blood of forgiveness from sin and membership in God's family. And the same love that proclaimed, Father, forgive them from the cross will forgive you and make you part of God's family. I hope that you have a blessed Good Friday. This is a day made by a good and loving God who through his son enabled all of us to enter into his kingdom. Who declared forever and always that he would do anything and has to bring us into his family. Today we mourn what our sin cost but we rejoice that the cost was paid by the love of our heavenly father who lovingly paid it with his son who loved us and gave himself for us. And so for that, we should rejoice. If you would join me in prayer.
God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you did not send your Son, as John tells us, into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Father, I pray that if there's anyone out there asking themselves about Jesus, aren't you the Messiah? I pray that they would see so clearly that he is. And that you would reveal to them your great love. That we see so clearly in the cross. And in the offer of welcome even to a condemned criminal. Father, we rejoice that no matter what we've done, that we can come to you and be forgiven and be welcomed into your family if we will but put our trust in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray those of us who have already done that would reflect on what our forgiveness cost and mourn over our sin, but also rejoice in the fact that the price has been paid and we need do nothing else other than put our trust in Jesus to be members of your family. Father, thank you for that. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for a love that makes today good Friday. And Father, I pray your blessing and your protection on all those who are watching, on those around our country who are sick, around people on people all around the world, Father, who are scared, who are fearful, who are ill, and who do not know what may happen in the future. Father, I pray your peace would come to them as well. And I pray, Father, that you would draw many millions through this to yourself, one at a time, the same way we all come in, through individual, personal faith in Jesus. And Father, I pray that this day would be a day of celebration too. In Jesus' name, amen. I thank you for joining us this afternoon. I hope you will join us again on Sunday morning at 1030.